course of events, they ended up separated from one another. And uh, as dusk began to approach, one of the men had slipped and fallen off the side of the hillside in the mountains where they were hiking and slipped down about 50 feet. And uh, the bottom was another 200 feet below him. And as he was in the process of sliding down the side of the cliff, he was grabbing onto whatever he can get a hold of and happened to get a hold of a, a little tree that was growing out of the side of the mountain. And so he was holding on to it, and as the hours went by and as his friend was nowhere to be found, he began to shout out to God, and he was asking God, he said, Lord, if you're up there, please save me. And he heard a voice come back, and it said, if you have faith in me, let go of the tree. And he thought about it for a second, he said, Lord, uh, you know I have faith in you, um, please save me. And again, the voice came back and said, if you have faith in me, just let go of the tree. And one last time, just to be sure, he said, Lord, I, I think I hear you saying to let go of the tree. Um, but, you know, you know, I trust you. Uh, please save me. And the voice came back and said, if you have faith in me, let go of the tree and I'll catch you. He thought for another second and he yelled back up, hey, is anybody else up there that can help me out? And, and I thought about, you know, the story is really interesting because, I mean, if you have faith in me, let go of the tree. And uh, the question that I had as I consider a story like that, what exactly is faith? See, you know, faith is, is really a, a funny topic anymore. And if you've been listening at all to the radios or watching any TV or hearing this whole topic discussed and uh, preached on with any regularity, you'll notice that there's a kind of a... Uh, um, a deviation in teaching that is leading people to believe that somehow the future, our future, is predicated upon our faith. These so-called faith teachers of the positive confession movement will have you believe that if you have enough faith, your cancer will go away. If you have enough faith, you'll be healed of whatever ails you. If you have enough faith, you'll drive a Mercedes. If you have enough faith, you'll be wealthy. If you have enough faith, everything in your life will just kind of come back and be what you want it to be. And so as I was wrestling with listening to the messages and, and, and getting quite confused, to be honest with you myself, as far as what exactly faith is, we've got a real problem because many of us are starting to lean that direction. We believe somehow or another it's within us. Our faith is what's determining our, um, our experience in this life. Or what we're not experiencing. See, that's even worse. Because if we had more faith, we would be tapped into the untold riches of what God has to offer. So we're really struggling with this whole topic of faith. I am. I don't know. If you are, then maybe you can identify with what the struggle is. Because... As I read through the Bible, the Bible teaches this. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So, conversely, it's true that since we're in the, in the process of going through... I was going to say we're kind of in the middle of a series, but that assumes that I know when this is going to end. <laughs> and we know better than that. So we're in the process of going through a series on pleasing God. I have no idea what point we're at in this particular study. But one thing that I do know is that faith pleases God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Therefore, if we have faith, we can please God. The question is, what in the world is faith? I've got a dilemma that I need to resolve in my life because I want to be pleasing to God. 
We already saw that glorifying the name of Jesus Christ pleases God. We've already seen that um, giving pleases God. There are a lot of things that the Bible teaches pleases God, and faith is one of them. So in order to give, I need to understand giving. In order to, to glorify Christ, I need to understand why. In, in order to please God, I need to know why I should please God and why not just please myself. So we've been going systematically through this so that we have a better understanding of how to please God. Now we're into this particular problem, and that is how does faith please God? And what kind of faith is it? And so as we go through it, let me just run this particular passage by you and uh, try to figure out why my pacemaker is doing what it's doing here today. Oh, everyone be quiet for a minute. Is that better? Oh, well, I don't know either. Faith pleases God. Look at this. Hebrews 11, 5 and 6 says this, By faith, when Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death, he could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who was pleasing to God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So as we go down through it, the question comes, what is faith? We've got to ask that simple question. If you want to be pleasing to God, you need to have faith. But the problem is, what is faith? And so we'll go through it. And in that same particular passage in Hebrews 11, 1 through 3, we address the question, what is faith? I want to be pleasing to God, so I need to know what faith is. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. So we know that faith pleases God. So we're looking at this and we've got to ask ourselves some questions. And uh, how many of you have ever gone um, um, bungee jumping? <laughs> what is that like? Is that off the wall or something? What's the deal? No one's ever done that? Bungee jumping? Bungee jumping. What is bungee jumping? Um, no one's done that? Has anyone done that? Oh, this is great. The, you know what? I mean, it gave me this illustration because the, the guy who's done it isn't here today. But, so we can talk about him. Anyway, we do. We have, we have a, a member of this group who uh, we had dinner with last week, and he brought a video over of, of him going bungee jumping. And uh, so I, it was interesting, you know, it was the first time we'd ever really done anything together, so I'm not real sure what exactly we're going to, but uh, anyway, so I'll make a long story longer, because I have that spiritual gift, you know. Um, <laughs> he, he brought this videotape over, and he was showing us this tape. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to get inside of the mind of a person who does these kind of things. <laughs> I got to know what it is. And uh, so I, I said, you know, well, you know, what do you, why do you do that? Now, that's a real interesting approach to asking somebody why they do what they do. I just thought it'd just save us a lot of time. Man, why'd you do that? And uh, he's an emergency room physician in Pomona. And uh, I, his job is an absolute nightmare, what he sees on a daily basis. And if you don't think somebody who goes through what he goes through has stress, then you don't have a stressful situation. But this man goes through some serious stress. 
And so as he began to tell me a little bit about what he does, it began to come a little clearer why he did that. But uh, what was fascinating about it is, um, so I figured he just had a death wish, but that wasn't it. So as we talked a little bit further, uh, I started asking, why did you do that? He goes, you know what? It's the most incredible illustration of what I found in the Bible that discusses faith. Now, I had to listen a little more. So what do you mean? He goes, the way that this particular bungee jumping experience was, they went out to Hemet, and they got hot air balloons out in Hemet. And so he went up in a hot air balloon 180 feet, and, and they stand, and they stand. Now he said, you got a choice. You can go face first or you can go backwards. And uh, that's a heck of a choice when you consider that all the options are available. <laughs> Now run those two by me again, frontwards or backwards? Uh, I got one other one. How about none of the above? <laughs> but so anyway, so he, he, they show he's up here and they're videotaping this. And um, he, he has these bungees that they're tied. You know, the, the guys that jump off bridges and stuff, they usually have them tied to their ankles. But um, this particular thing was tied to his waist. It kind of went around his waist. So what he did was, I guess they would just kind of say at the count of three, you just fall backwards. And so he fell backwards. And this guy just fell off the back of this balloon. And then I just, you, you kind of hear, it was like the time I saw somebody fall off the cornice at, at Mammoth and heard him hitting every mogul on the way down. But I, it's the same kind of effect. So if you've ever skied, maybe you can relate to that. But so he's down, and it flings him back up, and it flings him back down, and it flings him back up. And then the balloon slowly goes down, and then you get off and you untie yourself. And uh, now I'm fascinated at this point by how this all ties into faith. Now, the question is, um, what does faith have to do with that? Has, ever, has anyone gone, I mean, somebody has gone skydiving, right? All right. Ah, there we go. See, now no one, no one laughed or anything at skydiving. But I want to ask you a question. When you, like, jump out of a plane... At how high was it? 1,200 feet. Now, if I understand this right, anything above six could probably kill you if you land on your head. <laughs> so, I got it. I got it pretty much figured out. 1,200 feet. Now, let me ask you a question. Now, what was it again that was going to keep you from hitting the ground? Faith. <laughs> right. Yeah? Let me ask you something. I want to challenge you. You're falling into that positive confession mode. Let me just challenge you. Okay, if you think faith has saved you, then we'll take you out to the airport and we'll let you mount up in a plane without a parachute and jump out of the plane. See, now what was it again? It was, oh, God. Yeah, well, you heard the old joke, you know, where the guy kept asking for help and the helicopter came and then somebody came and they sent a rope down and the guy ended up dying and he was in heaven and said, Lord, why didn't you save me? He said, man, I sent you a helicopter and a rope. What else can I do for you? But... Um, what, what was it? You've skydived. What was it? A parachute, right? This is not difficult. I mean, see, think about this. Anybody could do this. I mean, um, it's a parachute. Now, what is a parachute? Now, if I understand what a parachute's made out of, it's a piece of nylon. All right? Now, stop and think about it. No one's going to jump out of the plane with pantyhose over their head. <laughs> but it's nylon. Right? So... It's, but then again, what do you have faith in? What do you have faith in? 
God? See, is faith presumption upon God? Is faith, faith wishful thinking? If I get in a plane and I jump out, then I can call upon God because what he'll do is he will, every law of physics, he'll violate because I'm an idiot and I jump out of a plane without a parachute because that is faith. Huh? That's dumb. That's dumb. That's right. That's exactly what it is. That's, see, that's not faith. That's presumption upon God. There's a difference between presuming upon God and having faith or trust. Now, here's the question again. What is it that a bungee jumper or a skydiver has faith in? Huh? Okay, if you're a bungee jumper, you have faith in the bungee cord, right? If you're a skydiver, you have faith in a parachute, right? If you, now, let's think about it. If you get on an airplane and the pilot says, we're going to be cruising at 37,000 feet, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be going about 620 knots. Now, stop and think about it for a second. You're 37,000 feet above the ground. What do you have faith in? The pilot. The plane. The mechanics. The fact that everybody that's up there wants to come down in one piece as bad as you do. Um, how about like laws of aerodynamics? Standards that go even beyond... I'm almost afraid that when somebody raises their hand, it's something like, I'm afraid, but I'm going to try it. Go ahead, fellas. Tell me what you're going to tell me. <laughs> ushers. Ushers. I'm wrong. Oh, my goodness. Well, you know, it's like, the, well, yeah, it's the old joke, you know, if it's the pilot's time to go, let me know before I get on the plane, you know what I mean? <laughs> no, and, and, and what you're saying is true. God is in control. That's not the question. The question is, what is faith? Is faith presuming upon God, or is faith in an object of some sort? Okay, having faith that God's in control, but then that's a little bit still, I'm not sure if that's enough for me. Because how do we know God's in control? Okay. Because that's the base of our Christianity. Okay, we just got to believe that God is in control. So, see, oftentimes our faith ends up being kind of like wishful thinking. I sure hope God's in control. Because I know I'm not. I hope someone is. You know what I mean? Let me just show you something. And, and, and you're bringing up some good points. Even though you said I was wrong. <laughs> Gee. Okay, let me ask you something. How do we know that the worlds were created? How do we know? By faith. Okay, faith, we understand that the universe was formed. High. How? By, by the Word of God. Little hint. I underlined it. I underlined it. Next time you can pick up on that. Little clue. Okay. By the word of God. Listen to me. Faith always must have an object upon which our faith rests. All right? Is that a no? Man, we've got a rowdy group here today. But listen to me. You follow me? Faith must always have an object upon which it rests. Otherwise, it becomes wishful thinking or presumption. 
So the argument, very simply, is this. Um, there was a, there was a uh, teacher who was arguing about evolution that, that was uh, taking place. He, he was a, a science teacher who was arguing about evolution. And one of the students that were in his class were very upset that he was taking that point of view. And so he raised his hand, much like you did, and started trouble. And, uh, <laughs> and he said, I don't believe in evolution. And the teacher said, well, then what do you believe? I believe that God created the universe. He said, well, what, on, what, on, on what basis do you believe God created the universe? And you know what he said? On the same basis that you believe in evolution. And the teacher was astounded at this point, and he was setting them up real well, and he said, well, what basis is that? He said, faith. He goes, you no more can prove evolution then I can prove the existence of God, except there is much more evidence upon which I base my faith, the object upon which my faith rests. There is more evidence that this world has a, des has a designer and a divine creator than it happened to just come along and slap itself together. He goes, so we both rest our argument upon faith, but my faith has something more solid to rest upon than yours. You have no evidence and I can continue on and I can give you as much evidence as you need in order to change where you've placed your faith. Follow that? That's the truth. Because the heavens declare the handiwork of God. His invisible attributes are seen by creation itself. Romans chapter 1. See, we have something upon which we can place our faith. That object is much stronger an argument than anything else that anybody can say. And that's why I am very concerned when there are people out there who are taking faith and destroying it to where it doesn't make any more sense than presumption upon God or wishful thinking. All of our faith rests upon this object, and that is the Word of God. The Word of God. And the moment our faith is taken from the Word of God and placed to rest on something else, we have all kind of problems at that particular point. And if you'll ever test the teaching of faith teachers, they are taking Scripture out of context and oftentimes interjecting things that are not anywhere taught in the Word of God. And therefore, they go off into heresy and they begin to offer problems to those who are struggling in pleasing God because we want to have faith that pleases God. So the question then becomes, what type of faith pleases God? Now, this is, as we go through this, and, and the remaining verses of Hebrews 11 are going to help demonstrate those who have faith in God, and there's two positive results that happen when you have faith in God. Notice what they are. If you have faith, there are two positive results of the faith that the Bible teaches. One is, is that there will be an assurance of things hoped for. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of that which is not seen. There is an assurance, which means that we can stand under it, we can have title deed or, or a confidence to the fact that what we hope for will really come to pass. And it's based on the promises of God. What we hope for, assurance of things hoped for, what we hope for will come to pass because of the promises of God that we find in the Bible. That kind of faith pleases God. And the second thing is, it says that we can have an acceptance of present realities. 
That goes along with what Phyllis was saying. I can accept present realities that I cannot see because I believe, based on the Word of God, that God is sovereign, that God is in control. Even though I don't see it, I believe it when He says it. See, that's the kind of faith that pleases God. And we need to understand what that is. Let me ask you a question. What type of things do you not see today that you accept as being a reality even though you've never seen them? Okay, yeah, we'll call it electricity. Okay, we can see the results of electricity in that we can see lighting of some sort. Uh, but we never have seen, I've never seen electricity. But I'll guarantee you, you stick a wet finger in a socket, you're going to be a believer instantaneously. Uh, you haven't seen it, but you'll believe it, right? So electricity, we don't see electricity, but we believe it's to be, that it's there. What else? How about some things as far as our faith, the Christian faith? What are some things that we've never seen that we believe to be a reality? Jesus Christ. I have never seen Jesus Christ. I've never seen him. I've seen what people think he looked like. I've seen pictures of what he looked like. And frankly, most of them are always wrong because that's not the description that's found in the Bible. The Bible says that Jesus had no real outward appearance, that anyone would be attracted to him or drawn to him. So he wasn't a surfer-type dude, you know, long hair, blue eyes, looking good. You know, he, wasn't, he didn't look like that. So I've never seen him. And, and you know what? And see, that was what Thomas's problem was. Thomas says, when I see Jesus and I put my hands in his wounds, then I'm going to believe that he is who he said he is. Jesus appeared to him after his resurrection and said, Thomas, you believe because you see. Blessed are all those who will not see but still believe. Guess what? That's all of us. Happy are we who have never seen him, but yet we have faith and confidence that he is real and that he exists, that he is alive. He's at the right hand of the Father. He's interceding for you and I every day is what the Bible teaches. How do I know that's true? It's because of faith. Faith helps me to accept that which I cannot see. How about heaven? I've never been to heaven. Have you been to heaven? You know, nothing comes close to what I understand heaven to be like. You know, we think we go to some great places. We call them paradise. We call them tropical islands. We call them vacation spots of the world. But as far as I'm concerned, the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1 that heaven will never be disappointing. That when we get to heaven, we'll know it's heaven. We're not going to confuse it for anything that this earth has to offer. Believe me and trust me on that. Because it says it in the Word of God. Have you ever been there? I haven't. How do you know it's real? See, now here's our problem. Because we're dealing with people all around us who are skeptical. And we don't know how to explain to them that which we believe. Because we're into wishful thinking or presumption. And we think we're going to ask them to believe what we believe. I want to tell you something. What we believe is nuts to people who don't. It's not so, baby. I don't know if you've ever stopped to think about it, but you stop and think sometimes of what you say you believe. It is weird. Now, I don't mean to make fun of what the Bible teaches. I'm trying to make a point. And that is, think about it. What do we believe? We believe that God became man, born of a virgin. He walked on this earth. He lived a sinless life. He died on a cross. He shed His blood. And the blood that He shed was sufficient to cleanse all of us of our sins, every sin we've ever committed, past, present, and future. That they took Him off the cross and they put Him in a, in a grave. That He rose from that grave and for 40 days walked upon the face of the earth teaching about His coming kingdom. Over 500 people at one time saw Him after His resurrection. All of His disciples saw Him after the resurrection. And 11 out of the 12 went to their deaths as martyrs because they believed what they saw and they heard Him say. And one day He's coming again. And you know what? And there's going to be a trumpet. And then we're going to look. 
And the way he went is the same way we'll see him come back. Now, you're telling somebody this, and you are so convinced that it's real, man. You're excited about it. And they're looking at you like, how can you be so excited about it? It is not so unless you have the faith that pleases God. Because the faith that pleases God is an assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of that which we have not seen. We are convinced totally that it is real. And you know why we are? Because we rested upon the promises of God that we find in this book. The reliability of the future promises of God are as real as His past promises that have come to, to fruition. So when I say I believe all this, I'm not just asking somebody to believe some goofy story. I'm asking somebody to believe a story that has credibility throughout the ages. I'm asking somebody to believe in a book that 40 different people wrote over 1,500 years' time that prophesied things 800 years into the future and they came true exactly to the moment and the day that they were supposed to. I'm not asking them to believe some stupid story that I made up to tell them. I'm asking them to believe on the reliability of the promises of God. So when some other cult or religion comes up to you and says, here's what we believe, that some Yehu was falling asleep under a tree and an apple hit him in the head and he looked up and he saw a vision. Here's an angel that gave him this stuff and they made up all this stuff. And half of the stuff that they said was supposed to happen hasn't come true when it was supposed to. The rest of it hasn't come true at all. And it's all messed up. And then you ask somebody to believe that and people go, oh, that sounds good. See, we're not asking people to believe something that doesn't make any sense. In fact, look at Hebrews chapter 12. What kind of faith pleases God? Not just making all this stuff up, but I'll guarantee you, if you're listening and you don't really know where you stand in your relationship with the Lord, you don't really know if God exists or not, that stuff sounds stupid. But it's not based on a person's feelings. It's based on an objective standard. As much as it would seem stupid to jump out of an airplane with nylon, the objective facts are there rather than the subjective feelings. If it was based on subjective feelings, I don't think any of us would ever get into an airplane. That's ludicrous. And in fact, do you ever watch them load an airplane? I mean, one time, I saw, it was like the most discouraging thing in the world. Watch them load an airplane up. Man, they were loading cars and horses. We were in Amsterdam one time, and we were standing there watching them load our plane. And it was like, you know, I was trying to calculate how much weight they were sticking on. There. Oh, two horses. What? Two horses? There's cars going on there. There's all this other stuff. And you're calculating, and there's like, uh, you know, 28 million gallons of fuel that weighs so much, you know. And the, and the payload is, you know, 120,000 trillion pounds. Now, I don't know if you ever stop to think about it. You're reading that as you're flying in the plane, and it's going, payload is. Uh, that's how much that plane weighs. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't jump up in the air and stay up very long, and I don't weigh anything close to 120,000 trillion pounds. So I don't know. I mean, stop. And, stop. Close, huh? But, but, but stop and think about it. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. Why do we believe what we believe? It says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, I, I don't know if you've ever read, have you ever read Hebrews chapter 11? 
I mean, you know, it's about people that had faith that pleases God, and that's what we're going to study. We're going to take a look at each one of those and find out what kind of faith that they had. Did they have wishful thinking? Did they presume upon the future? Or what was the faith that they had that pleased God? So this is the conclusion in chapter 12, those first couple of verses. He says, therefore, what? Because of everything I just told you in chapter 11, therefore, we, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Now, I've read this before, and I used to think, and I don't know if you ever think the same thing, but I used to think that we had all these people that were in heaven, and they were all in a stadium of, of what we call life. They were sitting up in the stands, and they watched us perform down here on the field. You know, that's the way I read this, and I used to think. Everyone's up there, they're watching us. It says, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses, since we have so many people watching us, man, just run with endurance, baby. You know, go for it. But that's not what it's saying. It's saying, since we therefore have so great a cloud of witnesses, what we have is, in chapter 11, people that testify or witness to us about who God is and how their view of God affected the way they lived their daily lives. And so, since we have this cloud of witnesses, we're to also lay aside every encumbrance. What encumbrances? Those things that keep us from seeing God the way they saw God. Those things that keep us from believing God the way they believe God. Because it says, the sin which so easily entangles us. Could it be the sin of unbelief? Isn't what holds most of us back in our walking with the Lord is the sin of unbelief? We don't believe what he said. And so therefore we have this whole list of people in chapter 11 who believe God and what he said. And therefore since they believed him and there was the results, we have the same hope that if we believe what he says, that the same results will be true of us. So we can look at their life, see what they struggled with, see the obstacles that they had to overcome in believing God, and I'll guarantee you this, as we go through this, you're going to see some things that were absolutely incredible that God asked them to believe. You think it's tough believing what God asks us to believe? Like what God asked some of these people to believe. And they believed Him. And that faith pleased God. Okay? So let's take a look at them. Here's 11 people. This is the cloud of witnesses that we're going to take a look at and see what's going on. And in fact, let me, just, let me just hold your place there for a second. And I want to show you an argument that Jesus used in Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. Luke 16. He tells a story about Lazarus and a certain rich man as they are awaiting judgment in Hades. And he goes through and he begins to tell the story. And in verse 29, um, the guy who was in Hades waiting the judgment of God said, you know what, if I could just get out of this place and go back and tell people how real it really is. See, there's the conviction of things unseen. Do you believe that heaven is real? We haven't been there. We haven't seen it. We believe it based on the Word of God. Do you believe that hell is real? Those who put their faith and trust in Christ will go to heaven and spend eternity with God. Those who do not trust Christ are going to spend eternity separated from God. The Bible teaches there is a place called heaven that should be embraced by everyone that understands the love of God. And there is a place called hell that should be shunned by anyone who doesn't want to go there. It's strictly a matter of do you really believe that they exist? And so here he was teaching about hell. And the guy in hell said this, Lord, if you'll let me out of here, I'm going to go back and tell my family and warn them 
to flee this place in the wrath of God. I don't want to see them ending up here for eternity. you got to let me out of here to do it. And you know what Jesus said? Look at verse 29. He said that, you know what though? And he's talking to Abraham. And Abraham said this, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. But the guy was insisting. He said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, surely they'll repent then. I mean, isn't that the ultimate sign to have someone come back from the dead that you love and that you've known that is dead that may have not embraced the love of God in Jesus Christ and have them come back and say, oh man, just let me tell you, it is real. And while you have the opportunity, trust in Jesus Christ. Won't that change their mind? You know what he said? That's not going to change their mind. Verse 31, he said, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they listen or be persuaded if somebody rises from the dead. And you know why we know it's true? Because Jesus Christ rose from the dead to prove exactly this point. People didn't believe Him anyway. What is He saying? Moses and the prophets represent the Word of God. And what He said to them was very simple. If they don't believe the Word of God, they will not believe any sign that they think is greater than the Word of God. Our problem is very simple. If you don't believe the Word of God, you do not have faith that pleases God. So let's go through it and we'll take a look and see what some of these people did. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Now we already read in the first three verses that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the men of old gained approval. You know, have you ever struggled with, well, how did, how did people in the Old Testament get to heaven? I mean, I've heard that question asked. I've asked it myself. Well, how, how, how did people gain the approval of God in the Old Testament? Because they didn't see Jesus Christ in hindsight. They didn't hear the pro proclamation of the gospel and what he did. How did they gain approval? Well, it's answered for us right here. They looked ahead with, with hope and conviction of the promises of God as he said he'd send a Savior into the wor world. They gained approval from God because they believed what God said about the future. We gain approval from God because we believe what God said took place 1900 and some years ago on the cross in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The only difference is the vantage point. Are you looking ahead in the Old Testament or do you look behind in the New Testament? But both of us, old or new, gain the approval of God by faith, by believing that which God says. So he goes through it. So it's by faith that the men of old gain approval. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. We have faith that's, on, that's placed upon the word of God. What God says we believe, therefore we're convinced of that which we don't see even though we know it's real and we're convinced of it. So now here it is. By faith, Abel. Okay, let's consider for a moment Abel and see what made him pleasing to God. It says, by faith Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith he still speaks even though he's dead. There's the argument about the cloud of witnesses. What is the purpose of the cloud of witnesses? The cloud of witnesses is to testify or to speak to us today about that which is true of the character of God as they saw it and experienced in their personal lives. You see that? So even though he's dead, he still speaks about the reliability and the promises of God. 
So now the question is, well, what did Abel do that was so good? Well, he offered a better sacrifice than Cain did. Well, what was wrong with Cain's sacrifice? Well, we find out later in 1 John 3, 11 and 12, it says, and this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Don't be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Why did Cain kill Abel? Because Abel reminded him or was a reminder that Cain did not believe what God told him to do in the way of an offering and a sacrifice. And therefore, his presence was a constant reminder of his disobedience. And the best way to get rid of that presence is to wipe it out of existence. Why was Abel pleasing to God? Because he believed him when God said, this is the way I want sacrifices offered to me. Now, here's what we wrestle with, and, and, and I wrestle with it as well. It's like, what is the big stinking deal? Hey, fruit or a lamb? Veggies or meat? I mean, what's the big deal about what was the offering? Abel offered him, you know, a, a lamb, and, and Cain offered him the product of his hands. What's the big deal about the difference between the two of those? See, I don't know if you think like that. I think like that, and then I go back to what God says, and it reminds me what the big deal is. The big deal is God demands obedience and not sacrifice. The big deal is that God wants us to do things His way and not our way. The big deal is that God's thoughts are not our thoughts, His ways are not our ways, and as high as the heavens are from the earth as God's thoughts from us, God wants us to do it His way. That's what the big deal is. And if we don't do it His way, then it is no way. He came up with the program. He's entitled to how he wants it done. So now here it is. How is salvation to take place? I'm not doing it God's way. God says it's by grace you're saved through what? Through faith again. It's a gift of God lest, and not of works lest anyone should boast. What he said is, you know what? You want to be pleasing to God? Then you believe that this is the way that you please God. You can't do enough good things. You can't give enough money. You can't go to church enough. You can't stop doing enough stuff. You can't do anything that pleases God any more than believing upon Him in whom He sent, Jesus Christ. That's God's way. And see, this is where the trouble starts. If you think you can do things God's way to please Him, you are mistaken. You can't. And it is testified to us in the life of Abel who did things God's way it was commended to him to be righteous before God. Abel had a faith that pleased God. Cain did not. Cain tried to do it his way. And God said, you can't do it your way. You must do it my way. There's only one way. You follow that? You want to please God? Then you do it his way. Whatever it is that he's asking you to do, you do it his way. And Abel was a reminder, even though he's dead, he still speaks to remind us of the truth of God, and that is there's only one way in this life, and it's to do things God's way. You can't cut a deal with God. You've got to do what He says. That's the only way to please Him. And you know what? And when you do, that faith pleases God. Second person who's testifying to us today, the cloud of witnesses, his name is Enoch. And Enoch was pleasing to God because he walked with him and he belonged and he believed that what God had to say would come true. Enoch believed that the promises of God for the future would come true. Now, let me just tell you what God told him. You know what God said? It says, By faith Enoch was taken from this life, Hebrews 11:5, so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. 
Enoch pleased God as he walked upon the face of this earth. And the reason that he pleased him was very simple. In Jude 14 and 15, we read this. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men, talking about false teachers who would be judged by the upcoming judgment of God. And he told them and he warned them and foretold them about what was going to happen to them in the future. And he said, listen to God, because this is what's going to happen to you. He said, see the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all the ungodly of all the ungodly acts that they have done in an ungodly way. And of all the harsh words, ungodly sinners have spoken against God. What did he not do? He said, listen, God is coming and he's going to judge you for what you're doing. Repent and get your life right with God. He warned people of the upcoming wrath of God. Did Enoch see the wrath of God? No. He was taken from this earth and never saw the wrath of God. See, our problem is we've got to see it to believe it. And what faith that pleases God is, you know what? Enoch didn't see the flood. But you know what he did? Enoch, Enoch named his son Methuselah. And Methuselah means this. Listen to this. It means when he dies, it shall come or it shall be. Are you ready for that? In the exact same year, history tells us, not only biblically, but secular historians tell us, that in the exact same year that Methuselah died, the floods came upon the earth and destroyed the earth and all the ungodly as God had promised that it would. Enoch did not live to see that day, but had enough confidence and assurance of the fact that it was going to happen that he named his son Methuselah and said, the day that you die is the day that God will bring judgment upon this earth. Are you ready for that? That's the faith that pleases God. He never lived to see it. Let me ask you something. Enoch was warning about the judgment of God. Let me, can I ask you a question? This is, this is personal and this is why we're here. Do you believe that God is coming to judge, that Jesus Christ will return to judge this earth? That he'll judge the earth as is promised by the word of God? Do you really believe that? Are you, are you assured? Are you convinced? See, faith will give you the assurance and the confidence, the conviction that there is a place called hell. Are you convinced of that? If you're convinced of that, it'll change the way that you look at people around you who've never embraced the love of Christ. See, it's believing what God says about upcoming judgment that motivates us to act today because we don't want anybody that we know to go to hell. I don't care what they've done to you. I don't care how much they've hurt you. The love of God in your life won't allow you to let anybody be condemned to hell and you want to warn them any way that you can. And the reason we don't is because we don't have faith that pleases God because we don't believe the promises of God of upcoming judgment for all those who never put their faith and trust in Christ. There's no other answer for that. That's as simple as it gets. If you believe it, you're doing something about it. You've got to believe what God says about the future and be convicted about the fact it's a reality and the kind of faith that pleases God has you so convinced that it's real that it's affecting the way that you live your lives on a daily basis. Is that the kind of faith that you have? That's the kind of faith that pleases God. Let me just give you one more since it has to do with judgment. And I just want you to think about this for a minute. You think it's hard to believe what God tells you to do. Look at this. How about this guy? This is great. Noah is, I mean, it is, this is a great story. It says, By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. 
Now, I just want to tell you, you put yourself in Noah's position for a moment. What was God telling him was going to happen? He said, we're going to have a flood. Noah, we're going to have a flood like you've never seen. And Noah's going, I believe it since I've never seen a flood. What exactly is a flood? <laughs> it's going to rain. It's going to flood. It's going to pour like you ain't never seen it pour before. And so Noah's going, what's rain? What's a flood? I don't understand. Anyone guess it? You don't have to understand. You just do what I tell you to do. Here's what I'm telling you to do. You're going to build an ark. Now, the man had never been to the L.A. boat show. You know what I'm saying? The guy's saying, hey, you've got to build an ark. You ever want to know why there's, there's a description of how he was supposed to build the ark in there? Okay, he didn't have a clue how to build an ark. I wouldn't have a clue how to build an ark, and I've seen boats before. But then he's asking him to build something he ain't never seen before. Saying, I want you to build a big boat. Boat. Now, I'm not sure if he spoke to him in Hebrew or not, so I'm not, you know, but he told him to build a boat. He said, I want you to build a boat. And I want you to not only build a boat, but we're told in Second Peter, I believe, that Noah, for 120 years, built this boat. And for 120 years, he warned people about the coming judgment of God. Now, here was, jo here was God's job description. Hey, Noah. It's going to rain like you ain't never seen it rain because you ain't never seen it rain. You're going to have to build a boat because you're going to have to get above the waters because you ain't never going to see waters like I'm going to get, show you some waters. And the story of the flood is incredible. And if you stop and think about it, every, the highest mountaintops in the world were covered by 10 cubits of water. And it's amazing to me that scientists would deny that that could cause catastrophic effects on the surface of the earth when the whole world is under 22, 30,000 feet of water. Cut me a break. There's going to be a little pressure there. And... Um, and he's saying, not only are we going to do that, but then for 120 years, um, you're going to not only be building this boat, but you're going to be warning people about the coming judgment that's going to happen. Now, you think that it's hard to believe that Jesus loves you, that he died for your sins, that he rose to prove it? You think that's hard to believe? I mean, I'll tell you what, that sounds a lot easier to believe than building a boat for a flood that I ain't never seen about judgment that didn't come in a week, it didn't come in a year, didn't come in 10 years. But for 120 years, he patiently waited for the promise of God and stuck to the task that God gave him to do. That kind of faith pleases God. You know what? How many of us get impatient about the promises of God? God, I want all your promises to come true, and I want them to come true within the next week so I know that everything that I'm reading about is true. And you know what it says? He says, They that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. And they'll mount up with wings like eagles, and they'll run and not be wearied, and they'll walk and not faint. And he says, Teach me, Lord, teach me, Lord, to wait. You know, we need a good dose of waiting. Because I'll tell you what, as we wait upon the promises of God, it develops that faith muscle that for many of us have atrophied. And uh, we need it back. Because we need to believe that what God says about the future is true. Even though we've never seen it yet. But like Noah, he didn't see it. He just believed them. And you know what, men and women? We need the same kind of faith. Because that's the kind of faith that pleases God. Our Father, we just thank you for this time just to take a look at a confusing topic to some degree. We listen to what we're told about faith and as we hear it taught, we're reminded that it's nothing more than presumption upon you and also wishful thinking.
You tell us that we can have a faith that goes so much deeper than presumption. We have a faith that goes so much deeper than just wishful thinking. But our faith is predicated and rests upon the solid promises found in your word. It's as reliable as you are. As we look at what you promised in the past, as we see the witnesses, as we just looked at Abel and Enoch and Noah, and we saw that they believed you, and their belief led to action. And their action was a testimony to the type of faith that is pleasing to you. They patiently waited the promises that you made, accepting ridicule, persecution, name-calling, finger-pointing. They went through all of it because they were confident about you and about your word. God, give us all as we leave here today a newfound source of strength to have the faith that pleases you and that we're confident that what you say in your word is true. May our faith rest solely upon the word of God. And we just thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen.